So today I want to start a new series, uh, Be Still. And it's a four-part series about finding silence. You see, in the midst of our always connected world, our digital, busy, hectic world, I strongly believe in the importance of cultivating this spiritual practice of solitude and silence. And so in this four-part series, uh, we're going to discover how the practice of finding silence will result in physical, emotional, and mental rest. And most importantly, the spiritual refreshing uh, that you can find in God. So a while ago, I shared a sermon uh, talking about uh, some statistics about how often we use our phones and whatnot. And I think I shared this maybe uh, when I first got here, I think I did the sermon. But I shared things like the average person uses their phone for about three hours, 16 minutes. And then recently, actually, I was reading an article uh, that another researcher conducted a similar experiment. And they say that on average, we spend five hours a day on our phones. Maybe some of you guys even more, and you know that. You're just like, yeah, I use it more than five hours a day. Um, and then another thing in that experiment, in that research, it also said that people pick up, up their phones on average every 12 minutes or more than 80 times a day. And maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, that's me. I do that too, right? Also, it, it was saying in this experiment that about 2 billion people use smartphones daily, right? All across the globe. And over half of the population in most developed countries rely on the use of their, smartphone, their smartphones. And I think that's crazy. You see, I think technology is great. Don't get me wrong, right? Without technology, we wouldn't have all these great things. Okay? Better ways to communicate with people, people, relatives from um, long distance or short distance, the access to the internet at all times, the pretty church graphics that you see on the TVs, right? All of these things wouldn't be here if we did not have technology. But with the rise of technology, our plates become more filled, work never seems to stay away from us, school, assignments, the trends. You see, we live in this age of freneticism, right? This ideal of always being on, always being busy, this frantic, hectic world that we live in. It clearly affects the quality of living. Yes, yes, we live in a world where students are expected to keep up with a certain pace and a standard of living. Young adults are expected to be married and make a certain figure after college. And adults are pushed to give 100% and maybe even more in their work. You see, the society that we live in pushes us to the limits. We have to have the best. We have to have a certain standard. We have to have a certain amount of money. We have to work hard. And it's difficult. You see, our busy lifestyles and culture puts us in, in other words, this hamster wheel of life. And no matter how hard or how much you run, you always stay in the same place. But thankfully, we are not stuck to living with one option. Many people these days find that silence and solitude have a profound impact on the quality of living. And even more interestingly, the busier you are, the more beneficial solitude and silence is. But I think what's more interesting is this, is that silence and solitude is not a foreign ideal. 
especially to God and what we have in our Bibles. It's something that actually was intended from the very beginning of time. And we're going to discuss that much more later in our series. So today, I want to examine a person, a person in the Bible that will basically model why intentionally setting aside time to find silence and solitude is an essential and key part of our Christian walk. Let's turn our Bibles to begin to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to run around a little bit here. But Luke chapter 3, verse 16 to 22. Then we'll jump to chapter 4 and then chapter 5. And this is what the Lord says. The Bible says this. John answered them all. I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the shaft and unquench- with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Heroditus, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And you turn to chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And Chapter 5, verse 16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, there's always this tendency to look at the works and the message that Jesus had to share. I mean, of course, we're drawn to this naturally, right? Because it's appealing and the impact on our lives are, are real and profound. And then we also encourage and tell people, we tell Christians that, We need to live more like Christ. We need to be more like Christ. To follow in his footsteps and reflect his character. Like, look at his ministry. Look at all the things that he did. Of course, there's nothing wrong with this. But, I think we often skip a very important step when it comes to becoming more like Christ. You see, in the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus leaves the Jordan after his baptism, and he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, or some of your translations may say, into the desert. And in the Greek, desert or wilderness is this word here, oremos, right? And it's actually defined as solitary, desolate, uninhabited, deserted, remote, solitary place, absent of inhabitants, or lonely place. Now this is interesting because we find Jesus even before he goes off on this awesome adventure and awesome ministry and work on this earth, he intentionally begins his ministry with going off into solitude for 40 days in a quiet lonely place. But there's something very ironic in the scriptures. If you're a Bible scholar, which all of you are as of right now, you will notice that this is interesting because throughout scripture The desert, or the wilderness, is the very place where we can find God. His presence and provisions for those who seek Him. You see, the limitless God shows Himself in the limiting, barren, 
desolate, solitary scenes of life. Think about it. Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. Okay? And in the midst of struggles, the complaints, the frustration that the Israelites have, we find a God who continuously cares for them, nourishes them, provides for them in the wilderness, right? In Deuteronomy 32, verse uh, 10 to 12, we find a song of Moses. And it talks about how God is said to find his people in the wilderness. And it says this, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eyes. And like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. You see, it's in the wilderness, it's in the desert, the solitude, in the silence that we can find God. So some may think, okay, Pastor Tim, the Bible, it seems like because of Jesus being in solitude and being in silence for 40 days, it made Jesus hungry, right? And so because Jesus' hunger and the solitude of 40 days, we come to this conclusion and assumption that, dude, Satan had easy target, right? How many of you guys get cranky when you're hungry? Dude, that's me all the time. If I don't have food, I, I will hunt you down, right? Food, okay, that's a big thing. 40 days. Can you guys eat for, not eat for 40 days? Okay, I don't think so. You see, our perception is this. We perceive that Jesus was weak, right? And an easier target for Satan. But the reality is, is this. Entering into the wilderness didn't result in weakness. It actually produced strength. Okay? Key words. When you look at the Bible, it says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and was led by this Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into solitude, into this desolate place. And when you look at Luke 4, 14, after the temptations in the wilderness, we see here Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, And news about him spread through the whole countryside. You see, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into this wilderness so that Jesus could gain the strength to take on the temptations of the devil. And this becomes a very strong uh, and prevalent theme in all four of the Gospels. Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, he began everything in solitude, everything in silence. And we find Jesus constantly seeking for that solitude and silence before anything else. In all four gospel accounts, there's an emphasis that Jesus is intentionally entering into these places of solitude and silence. Because Jesus wanted to be with God. And in that time in solitude spent with God, Jesus wanted to be strengthened. You see, very interestingly, throughout the gospels, we see that Jesus' relationship and his personal time with God took priority over anything and everything that he did. Right? You see, God was the focal point of his life. And because of that, Jesus was easily able to set aside other things in order to maintain that relationship with God. So, you see, I think as followers of Jesus, how much more important is it that we also follow in these footsteps? Right? We, too, need to find regularity and very intentional time to enter into these places of wilderness, solitude, silence, to meet with God, and to be strengthened for the race that God has called all of us to. 
One of my favorite Gospels, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, we see this, this, this procession of, of events. In Mark chapter 3, we see that Jesus calls his disciples to go and to preach, right? He commissions them, go heal, go cast out demons. And then we see in Mark 6, them going out and doing so. And then we see something very interesting in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 31. And it's a conversation that uh, they're having, Jesus and the disciples, and they're coming back to report to Jesus, right? This is what it says. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught, right? This is after Jesus sends them out. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance uh, to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest, okay? Immediately after their amazing and fruitful mission trip that God has sent these people on, Jesus invites the disciples to enter into a place of silence. You see, Jesus invites us to do exactly the same. To come and to find a quiet place and to rest. You see, the importance of solitude and silence can't be more emphasized in our day and time in 2020. In a world of go, 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 dog eats dog kind of mentality, Jesus reminds us to develop this intentional regular practice of solitude and silence. Now, some of you guys may think, okay, Pastor Tim, like, that sounds very easy, right? It sounds very easy to say, but is it really easy to do? And I agree. It's easier said than done. It's extremely challenging to experience silence in our loud, digitally connected world. When we do experience silence, there's this tendency, human tendency, to fill the silence or fill that void with some kind of noise or distraction. And I think that's human nature. Yet, with silence, it allows us to pay greater attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and speaking to us. You see, it's in the stillness and the quietness of life that we often begin to develop a deeper and truer sense of ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and theologian, he once said, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order not to have to look at ourselves in the mirror. I think this is such a profound statement that's so real to us today. How often do we find ourselves thinking that, oh, what's the next thing I have to do? Looking at your phone, looking at your schedule book, whatever you have, we get so caught up in not wanting to have a moment of silence. This German pastor very well states, right? And we try to fill this void and this silence with as much as possible, right? You see, other than strength, silence, and solitude also reminds us of the importance of how we need to depend on something greater than ourselves. See, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Now, let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. So, if you look at Psalms 46, if you look at the entire chapter, and you notice the language and you see kind of what's going on there. It seems to be that the psalmist is writing in light of some kind of conflict, right? There seems to be some kind of war, um, maybe even personal strife, right? I think the psalmist 
understood very well how easy it is to be afraid when things don't go the way that we intend or plan, or when we face challenges or conflict in our lives. But in the midst of this struggle, the Psalms as David reminds us that God is telling his people to wake up, to be still, and to recognize who's on their side. So in light of that, in light of that context, the tone of the verse can be changed to this. Basically, what he's saying is this. Stop striving. Stop fighting. Stop trying to do things on your own. Stop stressing about the battle that is ahead and trust in me. I am the Lord your God. Wake up. I am your refuge and your strength. You have nothing to fear or worry about when it is me, when it is me, God, with you. I will be the Lord that fights your battles and deal with your enemies. So step back, open your eyes, be still and acknowledge who I am and what I can do for you. Let me be God. Don't try and do my job for me. Simply be patient, be still, and let me take care of the work. You see, in the midst of conflict and life turmoil, sometimes we just need to enter a place of solitude, to enter into this place where we can just stop everything that we're doing and acknowledge who God is and what God can do for you. Doing so provides comfort in the chaos and peace in the midst of the struggles that we experience in our world. So a while back, um, I actually had the opportunity, actually this was a long time ago, um, but I had the opportunity to watch this Korean documentary. And in this Korean documentary, it's a story about a woman who has this spinal uh, disorder, right? So she's only about four feet tall, and she marries a man who is born deaf and blind, okay? So the re reality is, is they didn't have too many options. When you see the beginning of the film, Okay. The audience is extremely silent. Right? They're saddened and they're full of pity for this tragic couple. She communicates to him by tapping the Korean alphabet onto his fingers. And as you watch this documentary, you see the story begins to progress. You see that their life isn't really that depressing at all. The audience, who was once silenced with pity, is now cooing and laughing with this couple. You see, things that are so normal to us is moments of eureka for these two. She pulls him into the foamy waves of the beach in the middle of the winter, and he's shocked, right? He's shook. He stands there, his shoes filled with water. He feels the ocean and smells the wind blowing up on his face. They go to the woods, the middle of the woods. She cups her, his hands to show him how leaves are shaped, and then mimics the crunching noises that they make. He reaches up to touch the leaves and rubs them together. You see, one of the striking moments in this documentary is when, at their home, their bedroom light goes out. Okay? It's a mini crisis for them because, one, she's too short to reach, and the guy is deaf and blind. So they try to get her on piggyback. Right? The bed is wobbly, and so they ultimately fall over. Then she tries to tap the instructions onto one of his hands. While with his other, he tries to remove this bulb. Finally, they remove it, and with great effort, they manage to change uh, the burnt-out bulb with a new one. 
they hug each other and they're celebrating. We did it. We succeeded. The audience cheers. Something that's so simple, so mundane, something that everyone can do, so ordinary, so boring, is such a joy to them. Okay? We don't pity them now. As we're watching this documentary, as I was watching it, we don't pity them for their handicap or for their lack of freedom or the lack of options that they have. In fact, we're actually jealous of them because they have something that we don't. So the film director of this documentary, after filming them for two years, he decided to name his documentary The Planet of Snail. Okay? So at first, you may be thinking, dude, that's so offensive. What? Planet of Snail? You're calling this dude, the young, uh, blind, and deaf man, a snail? A snail is a pretty pitiful creature, right? It moves slowly. It only can sense the world around it by touch. And in a way, the main character, he's like a snail, right? He lives alone in this strange, odd planet in which he can only use his sense of touch. Things are slow, simple, boring. In order to communicate with our planet, this man has to use all these instruments, keyboard, braille keyboard, a walking stick, the tapping language that they have learned. But I want to ask you this. What if it was the other way around? What if instead of him coming to this planet, what if we need to go to this planet of snail? In order for us to get to this planet of snail, we have to limit our options. Maybe that means turning off your phone, turning off your computer, turning off the Wi-Fi, turning off the TV, to power down all your electronics, your apps, your games, whatever flashy stuff that distracts you or that overstimulates your senses. Because I believe that God lives in this planet of snail. He's trying so hard to touch us, but we're moving so fast in our lives. Our lives are too complicated. Our entertainment is extremely exciting that we don't have a chance to feel him. If God were to come down right now, to tap you on the shoulder in the middle of your busy life, let's be honest, would anyone really notice? Could you hear him saying, hey, I want to talk. Can you hear me? No. Because the reality is we have too many options in the world that we live in now. God is like that barely used app in your phone that just sits there, that gets lost among your social media platforms, your emails, your text messages, your phone calls. You see, I think it's so important that we find solitude and silence because it's in the solitude and silence that we can find strength and be reconnected with a God who patiently is waiting for us. You see, in order for us to get there, Maybe we need to intentionally limit the distractions of our lives. Maybe we need to intentionally handicap ourselves. Maybe it's time for us to take this trip to a planet of snail. You see, church, this is the challenge I want to leave to you. As we go about this series about finding silence and solitude, to be still and allow God to be God, I want to challenge you for 
the next four sermons, for the next week, for the few days, to simply stop what you're doing. To begin practicing this intentional act of going into solitude and silence. To set aside even 10 to 15 minutes of your day. To turn off your phone, turn off the news, turn off the TV. Just you and your Bible and just be with God. You know, one of the challenges actually that I kind of gave to the the high school Sabbath school class, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago now. We're on day 14, 15? I think we're on day 14 or 15. But the Sabbath school lesson was talking about this ideal of devotion, right? And I asked the question to the high school class, so how often do you have devotion? Not something that your parents tell you to do, not something you do at school, but personal devotion time. How often do you do it? And a lot of people have a hard time raising their hand when you ask that question. If I were to ask you that question today, how often do you take time to spend time with God? The reality is, is that we're so busy that that doesn't seem like something that we can do or fit into our schedule. But for the past two weeks, I've been inspired, and hopefully this inspires you too, where the high school class in our group chat are sending every day for the past 14 days Bible verses and wishing each other great days. I mean, you guys, it's such a powerful thing when you're able to spend time with God, when you're able to take a moment of your day and say, you know what? This is between you and me because it's in that solitude and silence that we can experience God. So I want to challenge you to do whatever it takes For the next few weeks, as we push through this series, to take the time to schedule solitude and silence in your day. If that means putting a reminder on your phone, pray, devotion, whatever it takes to take the time to be with God. To take a trip to this planet of snail in the wilderness, in the desolation, in the silence of our daily lives. It's in this moment that we can find God, despite the craziness of our lives.